if, if you could change anything about yourself, what, what would it be? If you could change anything about yourself, actually look to the person to your right. If you could change anything about that person, what would it be? No, don't go there. Don't go there. I wasn't planned. I'm in trouble already. Turn to the other person and go, I've been trying to change you for 20 years, and it's not worked either, has it? And so when you hear me say that, the first thing you probably think of is something external. I'm too tall. I'm too short. I don't like my hair. I don't like my feet, my ears, my nose. I wonder how many of you, you don't have to raise your hand, but when I said if you could change anything about yourself, probably most of us start with the externals. If you could change anything on the inside of you, what would it be? That which is in your soul, your mind, your will, your emotions. If you could change anything going on in here, what, what would you, boy, if I could just stop overreacting, if I could just stop going volcanic and getting so angry, or the opposite, if I, I know God wants me to say something, but I just, I don't have the courage, what, what, what would you change inside of you? Well, if you'll stay with me for about 10 or 12 minutes, I'm coming to some application that I think is a game changer. It's a life-changing strategy, spiritual remedy that will forever change your life. But you got to hang with me for about 10 or 12 minutes. It's the Sunday after Easter, so can I have some grace? (laughs) Yes, a little bit of grace. All right, so give me 10 or 12 minutes to get there. Is that good? You'll you'll do that? All right, you'll stay awake? All right, all right. God calls a man named Abraham. And he says, I'm going to make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, the sand on the seashore. And you're going to live in a land called Canaan, the land of milk and honey someday. Now, we see this land on the news every single night. It's about the size of New Jersey. And when he gave that call to Abraham, Abraham doesn't have an heir This is a tall order to have this many descendants when you have no sons at that moment. Well, you know he has sons, and we go along in history then, and we come to a man named Joseph. And Joseph's now number two in charge of all of Egypt. His dad and brothers are starving, so all the boys come from from this land, and they come now to Egypt. And we, we realize after he dies and after Pharaoh dies, they're enslaved for 430 years. 430 years, they're enslaved. Then God says to a man named Moses, and Moses is now 80, and we we just skipped the first 80 years of Moses' life. There's this burning bush, right? He's 80 years old when the bush is on fire. And God says, I've heard the cries of my people. I want you to go now to rescue them. And so we know the story of Moses, the 10 plagues. He leads them through the the, uh, uh, Red Sea, and they get to the other side. And now it's an 11-day journey. It takes them 40 years. It's only 11 days from Kadesh Barnea to Canaan. There's a great sermon in that. Because of their sin and their unbelief, they never learned their lesson that it could have taken 11 days. You don't want 40-year lessons. 
You want 11-day lessons. You want to get it the first time. That's another story for another day, but, but it's coming, okay? It, 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 it's coming. So Moses leads them through and gets out there, and they're looking for water and food and quail and manna. And Moses makes a great mistake. I get this. The leaders in the room get this. You're frustrated. You have frustrations with work and people and life and situations and tensions. And he takes the, st- the staff, and he beats the rock, and he takes the glory for himself. And he says to all the people, must we take water out of this rock? Moses never gave water to anybody. He was just the conduit. And so God said, because you've done this, you are disqualified from going into that promised land that started over here with Abraham. Seems a little cruel, but now Moses is looking into the promised land, but he can't go into it. So he dies. Now, here's Joshua. We're coming to Judges. We're almost there. We have Joshua. Joshua's the new colonel. Joshua's job was to fight. Joshua's job was to take those two or three million people, cross over the Jordan River, and now go into the land. In fact, God said to Joshua, I've given you the land. You're going to have to fight for it. I have given it to you. Do not make treaties with the people. Do not make alliances. Do not intermarry. Do not enter into contracts. Do not make deals with them. I want you to destroy them completely. Drive them out of my land completely, and I will give it to you. And that's Joshua's job. And Joshua is told that if you will do this, and the word of the Lord will not depart from you day and night, if you meditate on the word day and night, I will make you prosperous and successful. That's another sermon for another day. You want to be prosperous? You want to be successful? This does not depart from your heart, mind, will, or emotions. You meditate on this book day and night, and God says, I will make you successful. Success comes from obedience. Prosperity comes from being obedient to the scriptures. And so God says, I'll give you my favor. Joshua, all you got to do, I've already given you the land, all you've got to do is cross that Jordan River, take those two or three million people, make no treaties, no alliances, drive them out completely. So Joshua is about 75 years old when he's given this mandate. He lives to be 110. So you can do the math, 35, 45, somewhere in those years. He is now blowing and going, fighting, taking the land. We come to the book of Judges, and here's the whole point. I'm coming to your life in just a minute. We come to the book of Judges, and we realize they did not drive them out completely. Judges chapter 1, verse 21 says this. The Benjaminites, now that's one of the tribes. And so the tribes were commissioned to go into different sections of this little bitty piece of property, which is about the size of New New Jersey, that you see on the news every night, and go in and drive out the ites, drive out the Canaanites, drive out the Hittites, drive out the Amorites, drive out the Gerbishites. I'm sure there were termites somewhere in there. But there's about 22 different enemies listed in the book of of, um, Joshua and that in the book of Judges now, get rid of them completely. Now, why did the Benjamites, Benjaminites not do this? It's the same reason why there's still some things in your life 
you've not driven out completely. I'm coming to you. Hold on to your seat. This is going to hurt. But I've warned you. Does that qualify? Did I warn you? Does that help? The Benjaminites, however, did not drive out the Jebusites who were living in Jerusalem. To this day, the Jebusites live there with the Benjaminites. God told Joshua clearly, no alliances, no intermarriage, no contracts, no agreements, no partnerships, no friendships. I want you to drive them out completely. The big why is another sermon for another day too. Verse 27, but Manasseh, another tribe of Israel, but Manasseh did not drive out the people of Beth Shan. And some of you in the room, we've been to Beth Shan. It's a cool city there in, in the, uh, Jerusalem. Our Tanakh, our Dor, our Iblim, our Megiddo, and their surrounding settlements. For the Canaanites were determined to live in the land. Well, of course the Canaanites were determined to live in the land. It was their land. But God's driving them out. Of course they were determined to live there. But you weren't supposed to leave them there. When Israel became strong, they pressed the Canaanites into forced labor. You weren't supposed to keep anybody into forced labor. You were supposed to destroy them and what? Drive them out. How? What's the word? Completely. But never drove them out completely. Now, what happens in your life when you don't drive out the things in your life that need to be driven out? And the cycles keep coming back. Could be six days, could be six months, could be six years, could be 16 years. But when you don't drive out sin completely, what happens in your life? Nor did Ephraim. Now, Ephraim and Manasseh were the two sons of Joseph. And so their tribes of, the tribe of Joseph is now represented by the tribe of, of Ephraim and Manasseh. So Ephraim's one of the Israelite tribes. Nor did Ephraim drive out the Canaanites living in Gezer, but the Canaanites continued to live there among them. Neither did Zebulun, another one of the tribes, drive out. Why didn't they do it? Why didn't they drive out? Well, it's the same reason that I don't. It's the same reason that maybe you don't. Hmm. Nor did Asher drive out those living in Echo, Sidon, Ahala, Askbeb, Helba, Epak, or Rahab. The Asherites lived among the Canaanite inhabitants of the land because they did not drive them out. And again, the Asherites was another one of the tribes. Neither did Naphtali drive out those living in Beth Shemash or Beth Anath. But the Naphtalites too lived among the Now the, the question is, is why? And, and what happens when you and I allow those things to stay in our lives? Even though we feel them, even though we sense them, even though we know something's not quite right, we're a click off, the frequencies. What, what, what do we do with those insidious, reoccurring, repeating struggles? And every one of us in this room have those. We don't all have the same, but we all have different signature sins that come back that, that make us struggle. You're identifying yours right now. So I, uh, I love my farmer friends. I got a bunch of farmer buddies in Indiana. 
Um, the Becks are the big-time seed people. They do all the seed corn for Indiana. Mike and Teresa House farm over 3,000 acres, good, good friends of ours. And I got another friend of mine, Lloyd Long, and his family farms, and they do flowers and greenhouses. And so I, I called Lloyd a, a couple weeks ago, and I said, um, as a farmer, and by the way, when I called him, there were 10 inches of snow on the ground. This is just two weeks ago. And the week of, of, of um, Easter, that Saturday, they got six inches. So the farmers in Indiana, they're like F-18 pilots with the engines red hot on the end of the runway, and they're just ready to go, and they can't even get out of the barns with all the snow and all the ice still. So Indiana's ready. So the farmers are ready. And so I said, I know you're busy, but give me a farming illustration. What, what's your greatest nemesis? What, what bug what weed, what trips you up as a farmer? He's, I said, call me back in three or four days, because again, he was working on a bunch of stuff. He said, I don't need to call you back. I know, I know immediately what, what it is. He said, it's called the Canadian thistle. He said, the Canadian thistle is the number one enemy of farmers. It gets in your beans, gets in your corn, the cows eat it, and then they use the restroom, and they spread it. He said, if, if you get Canadian thistle in your crop on the way Carrying, when it's being weighed and measured, he said, you get docked. That person agrees, whoever it is, they agree 100%. The, the, the Canadian thistle, and, and my friend said, you can't mow it down, you can't chop it down. He said, you can't cut it off. He said, you've got to kill it from the root. It comes back and comes back and comes back. I called a friend of mine that's an internal medicine doctor, and I said, give me an illustration from medicine. What has to be destroyed completely? And she gave me this one great illustration that took about, you know, very technical. I said, give me something I can use, you know. <laughs> give me, I'm not a, you know, give me, I'm a preacher. Give me something I can communicate. And um, she actually saved my life years ago. I uh, went to our church in Memphis, and she made an appointment for me to go to a dermatologist. I didn't make the appointment. I didn't ask her to. She made an appointment for me, and I ended up having a melanoma too right here on my leg. I would be dead today had she not made that appointment. She said, Kurt, think of all the moles, and I've had 10 or 12 moles cut off of me. So I moved to Florida. Great, you know. I, <laughs> and I love the sun and fishing. So. She said, think of all the moles that you've had cut off of you. She said, a dermatologist doesn't just cut the mole where it is. They cut margins. They want clean margins around the moles. She said, because if one cancer cell gets through, she said, it'll probably take, you know, a person's life. And so we, we think about this Canadian thistle. And I said to my farmer friend, well, how, how do you kill this? He says, you spray Roundup on it. I said, Roundup? That kills everything. He said, it used to. He said, if you sprayed Roundup years ago on the beans and corn, it would kill the beans and corn. He said, we've got such great technology today that there's a type of Roundup that will only kill the Canadian thistle. Now, aren't you glad you came to church this morning to learn about <laughs> the Canadian thistle? I mean, where else could you learn about the Canadian thistle? And, and, and it, it's so, so clear that that's got to be taken care of from the top to the roots. And when you think about your life, most of us are thinking about the top. It's like, well, why am I so sarcastic? And why, why do I put people down? That's the top. But, but, but why? That, that's the root. 
If, if, if jealousy, if you're just jealous of your sister or jealous of your brother, or you're jealous. Well, why? Jealousy's the top. What, what, what's going on down? Pornography. Pornography's the top, honestly. There's something else going on in here and down here that's down. And, and, and how, do you, how, do, how you act and go about your life, most of the time you're focused on the top. I'm talking about the roots today. And so I want to give us a strategy today on how we can get really healthy by starting maybe at the top, recognizing the fruit of what we do that's inappropriate. I mean, you're, you're around people, and maybe you're one of these people, that you have to have the attention of every conversation. I call it the bride at every wedding, the, the corpse at every funeral. But you have, you have to be one of those people. Or, or it, do you see where I'm going with this? You have to recognize, why do I do what I do? And usually, why do I keep buying things? Why do I keep going in debt? Why do I keep shopping? Why do I keep wanting more toys? That's the top. What's going on down here in the root of who you are? And what does God have in store for you? So, I want to do this today, and I did it in first service, and and I, I want to give you a strategy because, you see, there is a way for you and I to overcome our signature sins. And whatever yours is, maybe yours is unbelief, maybe yours is idolatry, maybe yours is fear, maybe yours is guilt, maybe yours is shame, maybe yours is sexual immorality, maybe yours is, you know, some kind of just consumerism, whatever it is, and I don't care what it is. You're hot. You have to figure out what it is in your life. What's a strategy to kill it? What's a strategy to eradicate it? You see, they were to eliminate the people completely, and they got lazy. They got complacent. And, and unfortunately, they never drove those people out completely, and it came back in cycles to bite them. Just like the gunk and junk in my life comes back to bite me. And so I'm not doing something today that I don't do myself. In fact, the reason I know this works is it has worked in my life. And so I've taken different subjects and topics and struggles in my life, and I've just looked up the Scriptures on them. And I've gone to war with the Scriptures. And I've asked the Heavenly Father to fill me with the Word of God, to fill me with His Scriptures, and, and let's, let's, let's kill this thing from the top to, to the root. So I've got three today I want to give to you. The first one is about fear. Fear may be your thing. Fear may not be your thing. You may not be afraid of anything. You may be afraid of everything. There's all kinds of fears. But let's say fear is your deal. Let's say that you go through life and fear it just kind of grips you and, and gets you. And, and, and you've got a lot maybe to be afraid of because you're busy and got lots going on. But let, let's say fear is your... How does the Word of God address fear? Can God help you to be fearless? Can God help you to walk in faith? Can God give you the strength to walk in courage? Well, the Word of God says that He can. So let's just, this is just an example. I'm just going to give you seven little verses on fear. Again, fear may be your thing. It may not be your thing. But here's the exercise. It's just a spiritual remedy. So we're going to take fear. All right. So we look up the verses on fear. 
Beth Moore does this. A whole lot of different authors do this. You can buy books on this. You can go on the internet and do this. And every topic in the scriptures that you struggle with has already been written about. And every topic that's on your heart or your mind, God has clearly communicated. So we got fear. I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Imagine if you're a fearful person and you start your day with that verse. You start your day going through that, putting that in your soul. So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Okay, God, you promised that you would what? You would strengthen me. That you promised to uphold me with your righteous right hand. God, if you said it, I believe it. When I'm afraid, I put my trust in you. In God, whose word I praise, in God I trust, I am not afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? You afraid of somebody at work? They can't eat you, right? Well, maybe they can. I don't know. Most of the time, they can't. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Remember a couple of weeks ago? David's in the stronghold. David's in the stronghold. The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? The Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you or forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. I will bring your children from the east and gather you from the west. The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. So let's say fear is your deal. And every morning, for one week, for one year, for six years, you did that. How would your life be different? Let's say you struggle with money. Lots of ways to struggle with money. I don't know what to do with it. I don't have enough. I have plenty, but it's never enough. Let's say you struggle with money. I don't know how to make it. I don't know how to save it. I don't know how to earn it. Just any, any topic. God talks more to you about money than any other topic. There's 2,352 verses on money, and right now we're going to look up every one of them. <laughs> yeah. We're going to do seven. But let's say money's your deal. I, I've got seven. There's 2,300. Unbelievable. Spiritual remedy. Money's your your deal. You struggle with money. And so every morning, you look up verses on money, and you pray through the verses on money. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. When times are good, be happy. But when times are bad, consider this. God has made the one as well as the other. Therefore, no one can discover anything about their future. I was young, and now I'm old, yet I've never seen the righteous forsaken. I love that one. I'm 37. I've never seen the righteous forsaken. I've never seen their children begging for bread, he says. They lend freely, and they're generous. But since you excel in everything, in faith, speech, knowledge, and complete earnestness, and the love that you kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. Give, and it will be given to you a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, we pour it into your lap for the measure you use. Maybe you struggle with, with giving. Maybe you struggle with greed. Maybe you struggle with, gosh, am I going to run out of money? And you've got several million dollars and you're just worried. You just go over these verses over and over and over again. And the Word of God changes you from the inside. It changes you completely. 
And you were not wired to be a slave. You were desired to be a son and a daughter and to walk in power and walk in freedom. That's what you have. The scriptures and the power of the Spirit. For the measure you use, it will be measured to you. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, with that we will be content. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and trap into a snare. I'm sorry, I'm reading three different translations in my head at the same time. Sorry. <laughs> Those who want to get rich into te- fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people, eager for money, uh, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. If you struggle with fear, you struggle with money. Listen to what Ecclesiastes says about money. Moreover, when God gives someone wealth and possessions and the ability to enjoy them, see, some of you are wealthy, and you can't enjoy your wealth a single day of your life. Gosh, you weren't wired for that. Look what he says. When God gives someone wealth and possessions and the ability to enjoy them. So maybe, maybe your prayer is, I need to be able to enjoy them. I need, to be, I need to be walking freedom with this. And you pray this verse over and over again. This is a gift. This is a gift of God. Well, I think one that we all want to have is more wisdom. So maybe it's not fear for you. Maybe it's not money for you. But we all want to have more wisdom. What does the Bible say about wisdom? Just give me a minute for a couple of these. To God belong wisdom and power, counsel and understanding are His. Imagine if you're 15 years old and you start praying some of these verses to have wisdom. Imagine if you're 21 years old or 25 or 28. How would your life and my life be differently if different if we'd start praying some of these prayers in our teens and 20s, 30s, 40s? Indeed, if you cry out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, if you look for it for silver and search for it for hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and you will find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom and from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He holds success in store for the upright. I want to be successful, don't you? Anybody in the room want to be a loser? Nobody does. He holds success in store for the upright. He is a shield to those whose walk is blameless. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. The psalmist says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go, and I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. To the person who pleases him, God gives wisdom, knowledge, and happiness, but to the sinner, he gives the task of gathering and storing up wealth to hand it over to the one who pleases God. This too is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. So as a staff, we're pretty high on this whole win the day slogan. We're trying to see if we can get that copyrighted and patented. And it's just something that we're doing. That's why we want you to get the t-shirt. We want you to see it. We want you to wear it for the concept of winning the day. So a couple of weeks ago in our staff meeting, I asked the staff, I said, how do you win the day? What do you do? I'm not like being the, you know, quiet time Nazi. I'm just asking, how, how, do, you, how do you win the day? And um, staff went around, shared, you know, prayer, scripture, journaling, singing, 
podcast, you know, just the, the normal things that, that people do. And then I asked this question. I said, why do you want to win the day? That's a whole different question. Why do you want to win the day? And, and we began to talk about what was at stake with our souls, with our friends, our family, our neighbors, our coworkers. We, we began to, to realize that winning the day is so much bigger than just us. But it starts with me, and it, start, it starts with you. And so winning the day, what's at stake in your life? I bet there's a lot more at stake in your life than perhaps you've ever thought about, you've ever dreamt about. So, um, Denise and I were gone for a couple of weeks in February, and we were at a really remote place, and we were able to just really get away and, and evaluate, like, what are we doing right? What are we not doing right? What do we need to do better? And, and it was like this, this evaluation time. And, and we readjusted our schedule. Um, she loves to pray in the morning, and I wake up amped up, ready to go. And so praying in the morning doesn't, we do pray together, but it doesn't work well for me. I'm up, out the door. I'm, I'm just hyper in the morning. I, I just can't sit in the morning and, and pray. So we, we decided that we would block off three nights every week. And by 8 o'clock, no more news. It's the same news every night, whether it's CNN or Fox. It's the same stories. Russia, Trump, it's the same story, right? Every night. We, we decided that no social media, no work, no computer, no, no, no nothing, no movies. And so for three nights then of every week, we've blocked this out. And it's a time for us to win the evening and to pray. And we pray for you. We pray for so many of you uh, in this room and pray over you and your families and your work and your future and your health. But that, that, that was like a wake-up call to see how, man, we got a lot at stake here. And um, we've got some amazing sons-in-law. Got two, I mean, if I don't have my act together, what's at stake? Two other young men watching every move I make. A son, 27-year-old son, who's watching every move I make. Two, two daughters. The youngest one is now 17 weeks pregnant. And we're expecting our first grandchild. Yeah. We're really excited about that. Uh, I told Danita I'm way too young for this, but she's just right. <laughs> didn't go over very well. It really didn't. Do, do you realize what's at stake? Your, your friendships, your, your neighbors, your coworkers, every, everything in your life, your spouse, your parents, your grandparents, everything we, we, we must 
we must destroy completely or those cycles will come back and come back and come back and, and he gives us the way. I love Ephesians chapter uh, 320. There's so much power. It's, it's more, it's not measurable, the power that God has put in, inside of you and, and inside of me. So I'm going to ask you to do two things this morning. So you're not walking out of here without making some decisions, okay? Decision number one, and nobody else needs to know this, but where do I struggle? Is it with toys to impress? Is it idolatry? Is it sexual immorality? Is it unbelief? Is it not enough faith? Is it gossip and bitterness and jealousy and greed? Where I need, we need you. Let me say this differently. You need, for your sake, to figure this out. Where in the world do you need to kill something completely? Completely. And so you take the scriptures on that topic and you pray them and you pray them and you pray them and you pray them. And it may be six hours. It may be six weeks. It may be six years. It doesn't matter. You pray it down and you bury that sucker good, deep. It's not going to rise again. So that's the first decision I need you to make. Number one, what keeps cycling back into your life? Number two, you, you need and I need to look up the scriptures that go along with that. Uh, one of my prayer partners is Kent Stickler. And Kent Stickler would talk about how years ago, very successful man, but he just woke up with fear every day. Fear, 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 fear. Kent took a whole bunch of scriptures on fear and committed them to memory. And every day he says, he says those scriptures over and over and over again. He said on a scale from 1 to 10, you know, he was a worrier. He was on a scale of 1 to 10. He said, he said I'm an 8. I'm an 8 or a 9. He said, now with those scriptures going over and on, he said, I'm a 2. I'm a 2, two and a half, sometimes a 3. So you figure out what the scriptures are. Look them up online. You can Google them. You can figure it out. There's books on this. And go to war. Go to war. Go to war. Now, if you're not a Christian in the first place, the start is with your relationship with Christ. It's to give your life to Jesus. So I'm going to ask everybody to stand. I'm going to ask the prayer partners to come down front. And I'm going to pray for you and pray over you and We'll see you this afternoon out at Honeymoon in just a couple hours, and we'll baptize a whole bunch of you. As of this morning at 8 o'clock, we had 70 people already signed up, so we got a whole bunch of people to, to baptize, and it's going to be cool. You are the King of kings, and you are the Lord of lords, and we lay our sins at your feet, and we pick up your scriptures, and we will walk in victory. In the name of Jesus, we pray. God bless you.